Doody doo. Let's see. I'll just change video games here to one word. Fix these typos. Take out these unnecessary commas and. Oh! <laughs> Hello there. Sorry about that. I'm just uh, trying to multitask a little here. Editing a new article for Game Cola while also editing the new Game Cola podcast. Speaking of which, hello, and welcome to Game Cola Podcast number 17. I'm Paul Franzen, the editor-in-chief of Game Cola. With me today are fellow Game Cola writers Matt Jonas, Nathaniel Hoover, Michael Gray, and Elizabeth Medina Gray. Kind of. You see, uh, we, we wanted to try something a little different with this podcast. We wanted to give everyone on the staff a chance to participate in the podcast, so... Instead of us all getting together on Skype to record the podcast, everyone recorded their own parts individually at their own convenience and then sent them to me to try to edit together and hopefully make a podcast out of. I guess uh, we'll see how well that works out. The topics we're going to discuss tonight are 1. The Sony PS3 price cut in the United States, how it affects us personally, how it affects gamers as a whole, and how it affects Sony and their image in the marketplace. 2. Licensed games, the ones that are good, the ones that suck, and why they're good, and why they suck. And three, the video games we're all playing right now. Okay, so uh, let's get things started with Matt Jonas, one of Game Cola's newest writers and a newbie to the Game Cola podcast. After you hear from him, you'll uh, get to hear from everyone else, and it'll be awesome. Here we go! I'm not sure what effect the PS3 price cut will have on me because I'm from Britain. <laughs> hey! I bought my PS3 a couple of years ago and I specifically searched out a Model 1 because I wanted backwards compatibility. Three quarters of the games I play on my PS3 are PS1 and PS2 games. I believe that even if they're charging it at a hundred quid for the PS3, right? Even if it was something that cheap, if it doesn't have the backwards compatibility, I don't think it's worth it. Nathaniel Hoover speaking, and as a retro gamer and Nintendo and PC only kind of a guy, PS3 price cut? There's not really anything useful that I can contribute here. Yay? Hello everybody, my name is Michael Gray. I write the 10 reasons for Game Cola. Before I get started, I'd just like to make a rebuttal to Paul Franzen's statements. Um, now, to be sure, I haven't actually heard what Paul Franzen has to say on the topic, but I have a pretty good idea as to what Paul Franzen would say, so I'd like to offer my rebuttal now. Paul, you are 100% wrong. Super Paper Mario is not a good game. It's a horrible game. In fact, it's probably one of the worst RPGs I've played all year. First of all, I don't even think it counts as an RPG. You know why? It has no plot. They took away the plot and replaced it with platforming. I'm not saying that platforming is bad. I'm saying that if you take away the plot of an RPG, really, what do you have left to make it an RPG? The only thing you have left are the battles. Well, you know what? They took away the battles, too, and replaced them with platforming. Are you sensing a pattern here? Because I'm sensing a pattern here. There's really nothing to Super Paper Mario that makes it an RPG. It's really just a platformer in disguise. Furthermore, the whole 2D to 3D aspect of the game, 
which does look cool, I have to admit that. It really is stupid and pointless because they overuse it. The solution to every single puzzle in the game is press the A button to switch into 3D. That's it! There's really no point in having puzzles in the game when the solution to every single puzzle is exactly the same. Imagine playing uh, a Monkey Island game where the solution to every puzzle was do the exact same thing. Nobody would like it! That's the way it is with Super Paper Mario, and that's why I don't like it. There's no challenge, there's no plot, it's just straight platforming. And you know what? If I want platforming in my Mario games, I'll pull out Super Mario Bros. 2 and play that, because that is a much better game than Super Paper Mario. You got that, Paul? <laughs> Furthermore, I'd just like to point out that the name of the game is Super Paper Mario, not Super Paper Mario. You don't pronounce it Mario, you pronounce it Mario. The rules of English grammar and syntax state that if a foreign word appears multiple times, you have to pronounce it as if it is an English word. You do not pronounce it the way it is pronounced in the original language. To give you an example, take Julius Caesar. You don't pronounce it the way it's pronounced in the original Latin. You don't say Julius Caesar. You pretend it's an English word because it appears multiple times. So you pronounce it Julius Caesar. Let me give you another example, Paul. Let's pick a uh, Swedish name this time. Let me see, what's a good Swedish name? Hey, I know. What about the Swedish name Fransen? Would you pronounce it Fransen in English, Paul? No. No, you wouldn't. You would pronounce it Franzen. Yes, that's right, Paul. You would pronounce it Franzen. You would pronounce it like an English word, not like in the original language. If you do that for Franzen, why don't you do that for Mario, Paul? You should pronounce it like English. Mario, Julius Caesar, and Franzen. Quod est demonstrandum, Paul. As for the PS3 price cut, the price has dropped from $500 to $300, and my feelings on the situation is that the price is now lower than it was before. It's me, Mario! Hello everyone, this is Paul Franzen, the Editor-in-Chief of GameCola. Uh, this is Elizabeth Medina Gray, I do testgame.exe making the adventure. And we are baking cookies, actually. Uh, we're baking some cookies to bring to my parents' house this weekend. But more importantly, we are casting pods for the GameCola podcast. And uh, we're here to talk about, uh, first topic is the recent price drop for the PlayStation 3. Lizzo, are you pro or against the price drop? Uh, I think cheaper things are usually, it's usually better when things are cheaper. I think the, uh, the price is, it's down to $300 now? That's still too much. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask about, you know, if, uh, you thought that was a reasonable price, I guess not. Nope, too much. Ah, uh, yeah, I, I guess coming from Sony, that seems a little weird because, I mean, how much did the PS2 cost when it came out? I, I want to say it cost it about like half of what the PS3 came cost when it came out. I don't think costed is over. Costed? <laughs> I costed. I don't know. I, I think the, uh, the the $300 price point is at least more reasonable. I think people will be a lot more willing to pay that than they were to uh, pay whatever, like what, 
$500-$600 it cost when the system came out originally. I think that uh, because the PS3 came out at that price originally, um, a lot of gamers have had kind of an animosity towards Sony because of that. Oh. Because they... Okay. <laughs> because they priced their system at what is kind of undeniably an unreasonable price for a video game system. So I'm kind of curious now to see if... Uh, if people start feeling less animosity towards Sony, if, if Sony's able to win gamers back by having a more reasonable price now. And I, I'm, I'm wondering, do you think that'll be the case? Sure. For those of you playing at home, uh, playing along at home, we are making pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. And I am combining one cup of white sugar with one cup of pumpkin and uh, half a cup of vegetable oil and an egg. And a teaspoon of vanilla. Tablespoon of vanilla. Continue! <laughs> I guess the question too is whether, uh, now that it's more affordable, will people who own an Xbox 360 also want to buy a PS3? Since they'll be able to now. Or do you think they'll not want to because they already have a 360 and, you know, there's not really that many games for PS3 that aren't on the 360 as well? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. And on the one hand, I, I did uh, obtain a PS3 uh, following the price drop, and I've been uh, very happy that I've been able to play games like uh, Fat Princess and Pain. I mean, they have a lot of cool downloadable games like that that are exclusive to the system. Not so much with the, uh, the actual big people console games, though. So, I don't know. It's also cool that I like being able to play Blu-rays now. I kind of want to replace my entire DVD collection with Blu-rays at this point. You're not allowed to do that. <laughs> Well, I haven't actually gotten around to replacing my VHS tapes with DVDs yet, either. I don't know if I need... I, I guess I can kind of leap over that at this point now. One step at a time. So yeah, I guess uh, my so basically here is that it's awesome that it's cheaper. Uh, I think more people will be able to buy it, and I think more people will want to buy it. I don't know if more people actually will buy it, though. Uh, unless, you know, there are people who have uh, just stuck with PS2 all this time and didn't upgrade to the new systems at all yet. Maybe uh, they'll they'll be more. Maybe they've been waiting for their preferred system to drop in price so they can afford it. So maybe we'll see a bit of an upswing there. But I I don't know. I still I personally think that uh, Sony has a lot of work to do if they want to catch up in this console generation to even Xbox. And uh, I don't think they're ever going to catch up the way. I don't think anyone can do that. <laughs> so that's that. Okay, uh, let's get rid of that joke. It's not really that funny, and, uh, oh, I wonder if I can insert a link to one of my own articles in here. That'd be pretty awesome. And, uh, oh, haha, <laughs> looks like it's time for the next segment of this podcast. Here's Matt Jonas to start us off with talking about licensed slash franchise games, the good, the bad, and why. I personally believe that good franchise games are few and far between. Don't get me wrong, they exist. They do exist. You can get a decent franchise game. I don't want to point out movie tie-ins particularly because, of course, people say GoldenEye when they talk about movie tie-ins. But um, when it comes to franchises, once video games become franchises, they don't really do that well anymore. I mean... Look at Guitar Hero. You've got Guitar Hero Van Halen. There'll probably be Guitar Hero Lighthouse Family by the end of next year. Bingo! Ho 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 ho! 
Hey, it's Nathaniel again, and there's three factors that I see that make a franchise game a good one or a bad one. And the first of these factors is whether or not the game itself is any good. It doesn't matter what license you have, how cool it is, if your game is no fun to play, it's not going to be fun to play. Bleh, okay, so maybe that's a no-brainer and doesn't even warrant a mention, but it's true. A license alone does not a good game make. Then you've got the f issue of what you're basing your game on, what franchise or what license you're using. Take, for example, Star Wars Wars versus Star Trek. If you look at the Star Wars video games, they're way better than most of the Star Trek video games. It doesn't matter if you like Star Wars or Star Trek better, or if you hate both of them, the Star Wars games are way stronger than the Star Trek ones. And a lot of that has to do with the source material, because if you look at the Star Wars universe, there's a lot of cool stuff that really lends itself to a video game. You have lightsabers, and you have blasters, and you've got spaceships flying around, and you've got pod racers, and all sorts of neato things in the Force, which just looks really cool when it's in use. These things are great for a video game, and people have made the most of these different elements. Star Trek, on the other hand, is a lot more thinky, a lot more talky than Star Wars is. There are certainly action sequences, there are certainly really cool things that happen, and some games, such as Star Trek Voyager Elite Force and the sequel, and as well as Starfleet Command, um, I'm rather partial to Starfleet Command 3 myself, but those are just two of the few games that, at least in my opinion, were any good out of the licensed Star Trek games. And those were ones that really emphasized the action parts, the parts of Star Trek that really translated well into the video game realm. A lot of the other stuff might be great for television or movies, but well, it doesn't really go so great in a video game. So the source material needs to lend itself to the game. So that's the second factor. The third factor is very closely related in my mind, and that's whether or not the developers use the license to its fullest extent. A perfect example of this is Rockman Battle and Chase, aka Mega Man Battle and Chase, which nobody would have ever heard of if it wouldn't have been included as an unlockable extra in the Mega Man X collection. Alright, well this game isn't really a licensed game, but it's close enough for my purposes. It's a PlayStation Mega Man racing game. Now think about that one for a second. Mega Man's not really a racer, but it could have worked because the game was actually pretty good, I happen to think. It had some elements of Mario Kart in it, had a decent variety of courses, you could fire off different weapons, there was, were uh, special attacks, special abilities, and the cool part was you could upgrade your car just like when Mega Man takes the abilities of the Robot Master he beats, every time you beat someone else in a race, you get to incorporate the tires or the engine or whatever from their car into yours to switch up the dynamic of your car. So it, it had a very neat concept behind it, and it was executed pretty well, actually. The only trouble was it did not make good use of the Mega Man license. All of the playable characters, all of the racers are Mega Man characters. You've got Proto Man and Bass and Dr. Wily and Spring Man and Guts Man and all sorts of different bosses, but the problem is that's about where it ends. All of the racetracks, all of the obstacles on the racetracks, even a couple of the special abilities of the racers really have nothing to do whatsoever with the Mega Man universe at all. It could have been so cool, but instead it's just some generic and pretty decent racing game with Mega Man slapped on it. So, with the exception of bafflingly successful games like Chex Quest, if a game has a great license to use, and uses the license to its fullest extent, and is a good game independent of the license, you've got an award-winning combination for... an award-winning video game!
Hello everybody, this is Michael Gray, author of Carbonated New Speaking. Before I start talking about licensed games, I'd just like to respond to what Nathaniel Hoover has already said on the subject. Nathaniel, it was not a duck, it was a rhinoceros. Do you hear me? A rhinoceros. Just wanted to clear that up. Okay, so now on to licensed games. I was talking with my friend Marianne the other day, and she said that the best-selling games always depend on previous success in their particular series. That's why when a new Mario game comes out, it sells a lot of copies, because people have played the other Mario games. That's why when a new Bioshock game comes out, say Bioshock 2, you know it's going to sell a lot of copies because people bought a lot of copies of the earlier Bioshock games. And you know what that means? That means they're basically licensed games. People are buying those games because of the license. When a new Monkey Island game came out recently, I hadn't played Monkey Island, so I say, what's so great about Monkey Island? And all the people respond, well, we're getting this game because it's Monkey Island, that's why. And I'm like, no, 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 why do you want to get this game? Have you played it? Do you know it's good? And they're like, we're getting it because it's Monkey Island. And I realized they're just buying the Monkey Island game because of the Monkey Island license. They have no proof whatsoever that the game is going to be good. They're just buying it on faith because they enjoy the license. So really, when you're talking about licensed games, you're not only talking about games that are book tie-ins or movie tie-ins. You're also talking about pretty much every series in the history of video games. This is actually a problem for me when I consider my own gaming habits. I like to think that certain series are good. I like to think that the Zelda series is good. So when a new Zelda game comes out, I like to think, boy, this game is going to be good because it's a Zelda game. But that's not always the case. Sometimes a series will disappoint people. Sometimes, say, the Phoenix Wright series will make a new game, but it really won't have anything to do with Phoenix Wright whatsoever. Phoenix Wright won't be the star of the game. Phoenix Wright won't be a lawyer in this game. Instead, Phoenix is going to be a drunken piano bum, and when I finish the game, I'm just going to get this nasty flavor in my mouth that will forever taint my image, my ideal of the Phoenix Wright series. So, yeah, this is actually a problem for me, because I'd like to think that a certain series is good or bad, but that's not the case. What you have is individual games. The individual games of a series are either good or bad. The license, in effect, doesn't matter. And, well, sometimes... Actually, a lot of times, I forget about that, and I think other people do too, and, well, it's just something I'd like to think about, and I should take into account the next time I go to GameStop and decide to buy the latest installment of a favorite series. Hey everyone, Paul and Lizzo again, and uh, the next topic, licensed games. Um, talk about some of our favorites, some of our least favorites, and uh, give you a basic idea of what makes a good licensed game. Licensed game.
First of all, some of the good ones. Uh, you know, people people tend to think that uh, all licensed games, like the, the broad category of licensed games, it's just, it's crap. It's utter crap. There's nothing worth playing. Uh, which is pretty much true, but the, a few a few real classics are licensed games. Uh, for example, there's the, all of the old Turtle games, aside from the first one, the Ninja Turtles games. And um, other games, too, like Knights of the Old Republic and Goldeneye, for example. All of them based on pre-existing properties, and all of them are widely considered to be some of the best games ever made. Do you agree? Uh, yes, I agree. There's also the new Walls and Gromit games uh, by Telltale that are awesome. That's a licensed product. That's true. So there's that. And I think uh, what makes games like Goldeneye, games like uh, the Walls and Gromit games, what makes them good as licensed games is the fact that they are good independent of their licenses. Uh, Wallace and Gromit, for example, uh, going into that, I had only seen uh, the one with the pants. Uh, the, the one that <laughs> Wallace and the pants that don't work. The wrong trousers. The wrong trousers. I saw that when I was little and for some reason I absolutely hated it. So I kind of went into Wallace and Gromit thinking that I would hate this game. But uh, I did actually end up enjoying the games a great deal to the point where I wanted to rewatch. The, the, the wrong pants to see if it was any good. <laughs> and in fact it was. So not only was uh, it a really good license game, but it it, it, uh, it almost caused me to like the original license when I in fact did not like it previously. And uh, kind of similarly a game like Goldeneye. Um... Sorry, I'm making noises. <laughs> I'm now adding the oil to the sugar and the pumpkin. I am in the process of mixing the wet ingredients for these cookies. Go ahead, Paul, continue. Uh, Don't mind me. What was I, what was I saying? Goldeneye? Goldeneye. Um, I have a feeling I'm speaking for a, a lot of people who played Goldeneye back in the day when I say this, but I played Goldeneye without ever having watched the movie, or in fact any James Bond movies whatsoever, and I still loved the crap out of that game just like everybody else did. And I think I mean, it's just because it was a very, very good first-person shooter. It was a lot of fun to play and didn't really matter. Like, the, my enjoyment of the game was independent of the license. So, anyway, what I'm getting at here is that uh, I think that it's essential for the game to just be a good game in and of itself, independent of the license. And if, they, if it happens to have a cool license that you enjoy, too, that's also great. But I think that uh, primarily you just need to build a solid game. I am now adding the egg to the wet ingredients. And uh, kind of kind of on the other end of the spectrum is the, the new Ghostbusters game. And my opinion of this game doesn't really seem to line up with a lot of uh, reviews of the game, so maybe I'm just completely out of my mind. But Ghostbusters is a game that I think the game itself is very good, but I think the license itself almost drags it down a little. And I'm saying this from the perspective of someone who's a really big fan of the movies, so don't get me wrong, but I think that the story that they tried to tack onto that game just really dragged everything down. Like, the, the gameplay was solid, the controls were great, I felt like I was busting ghosts. But, um, like, the story is just, uh, instead of being an actual original story in the Ghostbusters universe, which was what I was hoping for, it's just a, uh, kind of a best of hits of, uh, the, the original two movies. Which I guess they did because they, they were probably trying to appeal to fans of the original two movies. I mean, obviously they were. And I think they were thinking that uh, people would be very upset if they bought a Ghostbusters game and did not get to fight the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. But uh, from my perspective, I was hugely disappointed by the way the story played out because I wanted, I, like I said, I wanted a new story in the Ghostbusters universe and what I got was nothing. There was nothing there. 
so anyway, what I'm what I'm what I'm going for here is that I think that game almost might have been better without them trying to apply the Ghostbusters license to it. It was a very good game that was hindered by the story, which is kind of like the opposite of what happens with licensed games usually. Because usually you get a game that's it's a piece of crap and that you might get a slight amount of enjoyment out of it if you like the original license. But in this case, the license dragged it down. Anything you want to add, Lizzo? Uh, not really. Any licensed games that you can think of that you've played? Uh, I used to play a lot of licensed games when I was little, because that's what I used to buy on, on my super awesome Game Boy old school. Um, but they weren't really very good, so... <laughs> well, I, actually, I can think of one that you really liked back uh, in the day. Pod Racers for N64. Well, I... No? I mean, it was one of the only N64 games I had. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It's good. I like it. It's a good game. The end. <laughs> oh man, that was, a, that was a pretty good joke. Better edit that one out. Don't want to make myself look bad in comparison. Uh, what else? Wow, a 10 out of 10? Really? There is no way this game deserves a 10 out of 10. Let's just change that to... Ah, 7. Much better. 7 is still well above average, after all. Oh, hey, podcast. What's up? Okay, last topic now, guys. The games we're all playing right now. Besides, that is, the ones we're playing with your heart. Here's Matt Jonas to start us off. You're asking for Matt Jonas's views on the games he's played recently? Okay, here goes. Um, I've been playing the Wii version of Dead Rising. It's, it's alright, it's sort of like a weird version of Dead Rising meets Resident Evil 4 because it's by the Wii um, Resident Evil 4 team, so it plays a lot like Resident Evil 4 than like Dead Rising. Then I've also been playing um, Oendan, Osu Tatake Oendan and Elite Beat Agents. Loving that series so much. I've also been playing um, Dead or Alive Extreme 2, um, not for any particular reasons, like they're wearing swimsuits. It's not about that, it's because it's a game that I've always wanted to play. Yeah, that's my excuse. Oh, it's Nathaniel's turn again. That's, uh, th th that's me, by the way. I've been playing a bunch of games lately, and, uh, mm, actually, uh, it'd probably be more accurate to say that I have a lot of games going right now, but I'm not really actively playing most of them. I haven't been spending a lot of time with video games recently, so I pretty much am playing the same games that I have been playing for a while now with just a little bit of variation. Uh, there's two big reasons for this. Aside from the fact that I haven't been playing a lot. Number one, most of the games I'm playing are RPGs, and RPGs kind of take a long time to beat. The other problem is that, as has been the case with a lot of the games I've played in the past year or so, some of the stuff I've been playing has been mediocre or just downright bad, and that's not an encouragement for me to play the game. And of course, by the time I determine that I don't really want to play the game through to the end, I'm far enough along that I might as well play to the end, because otherwise it'll be a total waste of time. At least that's how I see it. So, I've been playing six games right now. Um, 
the RPGs are Final Fantasy VIII, Final Fantasy III, Tales of Symphonia, and Dragon Warrior III. And I've actually been playing some licensed games. Aha! See how I tie it all back in together there? Mmm, sneaky. And they're both Star Wars games. Uh, for the N64, Star Wars Episode One Racer. And for the GameCube, Star Wars Rogue Squadron Three Rebel Strike. And just to quickly go through all of these, Final Fantasy VIII I've been playing forever. I am not a big Final Fantasy fan. Among other things, the random battles really bother me. And at this point, there are just so many hidden secret things that I could possibly go after, but it's just not worth it because I'm not enjoying the game enough to warrant me spending the time to do that. So I'm at the end of the third disc, and I'm just going to plow through to the end. And hopefully I hear that there is an ending on the fourth disc, so maybe I'll be done with the game pretty soon. Final Fantasy III I've already beaten, but I'm playing it through again with a friend of mine who has never beaten it. And we're doing this uh, two-player co-op mode, which is cool. Tales of Symphonia is another co-op RPG. It's for the GameCube, and I've been playing it with my girlfriend for... ever. We're only on the first disc. I'm pretty sure there's a second disc, so who knows how long we're going to be playing it. But it's pretty fun. It's got a very distinct anime style, and the battles are unique, at least in terms of the other RPGs that I've played, because it's real-time instead of turn-based, and it plays out a little bit like Soul Calibur, where you run up to your enemies and you hack and slash them at the same time as everybody else is doing their thing, roast them with fireballs, that kind of thing. So it's worth playing. Um, it's it's definitely fun. And I've been playing Dragon Warrior 3 for the game. Boy Color, so it's the remake, and in the remake, there's a bonus dungeon. Now, I've already beaten the game regularly, but to get into the bonus dungeon, I need to fight monsters endlessly until they randomly drop what are called monster medals, so little tokens of me having beaten them, and once I get enough bronze or silver or gold medals from all of the monsters in the game, including bosses, which, and that's another story altogether, then I will be able to progress through the bonus dungeon, because you need monster medals to unlock the different floors. This is something that I will be playing indefinitely. So, whenever I'm brain-dead and just need a really relaxing, don't-need-to-think-about-it gaming experience, Dragon Warrior 3 is where I go. Been playing two licensed games, Star Wars Rogue Squadron 3 Rebel Strike, which I'm really disappointed by. I loved Rogue Squadron 2. It was so fun to get behind or get in the cockpit of an X-Wing or the Millennium Falcon or a TIE Fighter and just blow stuff up. Licensed game done really well. The only problem is that Rogue Squadron 3 doesn't do most things nearly as well as its predecessor. And beyond that, it does a lot of stuff that LEGO Star Wars did, and LEGO Star Wars did it much better. So I'm playing Rogue Squadron 3, and I'm just saying, wow, I would rather be playing RS2 or LS or LS2. I'm just going to stop making acronyms. LEGO Star Wars was much better than Rogue Squadron 3 and did basically everything they did, but better. For example, the speeder bike chase on Endor through the forest is nearly impossible, at least as far as I can tell, and it's just not fun in Rogue Squadron 3. But LEGO Star Wars, super fun. Fly around back and forth. Lots of glee and joy and mirth. Lastly, N64 Episode 1 Racer, a lot of fun. Plain and simple. Easy to learn, difficult to master. It's the kind of game I like, and I haven't really gotten frustrated with it, which is kind of unusual, because racing games aren't really my thing, and so I tend to get annoyed more easily at games that I really shouldn't be playing in the first place. So that comes recommended. That's, that's one that you might want to check out if you're a racing fan or if you're a Star Wars fan. So I think that's just about everything. Blah, 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 yakety-schmackety, blah, blah, and I'm done. Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Gray. I write Inside the Guide for Game Cola. Inside the Guide is a column that focuses on my adventures 
while I write guides for GameFAQs.com. Well, what's going on for Inside the Guide World is that I am writing a walkthrough for Professor Layton and the Curious Village. I actually made a video walkthrough for the US version of the game, and right now I'm playing through the British version of the game. There are about 15 or so puzzles which are exclusive to the British version of the game. So, in the near future, I'm going to be making a video that shows the solution to these 15 exclusive puzzles that you only get if you're inside Europe. Pretty cool, huh? In addition to Professor Layton, I'm also making a walkthrough, a video walkthrough, for Phoenix Wright, Ace Attorney. I've been making this walkthrough for about six months now. It's a very long game. It's taken me a while, and I'm almost done. I'm about two-thirds of the way done with the final case of the game, so I hope to have it finished soon. You can watch the videos on the GameCola YouTube channel, which is gc.net, or just search for GameCola Phoenix Wright. You should be able to find it. And let me see, those are the only games that I'm working on right now, Professor Layton and Phoenix Wright. Once that's done, I'm going to have to make a decision about what games I'll be playing next. I might be playing Professor Layton too, doing a walkthrough for that if people are very interested in it. Of course, I might do Phoenix Wright too if people are interested in that. And... I actually have a list of about 50 games that people have requested me to play, so I have absolutely no idea what games I'm going to be playing once I'm finished with the games I'm playing now. So wait until the next podcast when I talk about that to learn what I'm playing. Adios, everybody. Hello again, Paul and Lizzo, and we're on uh, topic three, games that we are playing right now. Lizzo, why don't you start? Uh... I'm playing a boy and his blob for the Wii, the new release that, uh, that when did it come out? Just recently, Ah, uh, like right? a couple months ago, I think. A month yeah. ago, maybe. Um, it's totally, completely awesome. I've never played the original. It's a remake, or actually, we're not sure. Yeah, it's... it's Based the, on... Yes, the original NES game. NES game. Um, I've never played that before, but, um, so I can't really make any comparisons. But this game is, like, so awesome, and there's so many, um different abilities uh, that the that the blob has and the animations are really wonderful and the, there's a hug button and it's amazing. Uh, so I'm playing that. Uh, what else? Oh yeah, um, Scribble Knots on the uh, Nintendo DS, which is also amazing and incredibly innovative and it's so much fun and there's lots of room for creativity and you basically, uh, in case you've never heard of the game, you um, uh, solve puzzles and uh, finish complete levels by uh, writing in the words, writing in names of objects that you want to appear in the world and that you think you can use uh, to solve particular puzzles or, or do whatever the game wants you to do. Um, and you can write like anything and it'll make anything in the world. Um, basically, I haven't, I've like not run into anything where I haven't been able to get it to make an item for me. So I've, I've made like rock climbing walls and puppies and uh uh freeze rays that's that's a good object time machine time machines um invisibility cloaks um uh yeah it's 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 i highly recommend it uh so those are the two games i'm playing now 
And, uh, Did I forget anything? Oh, well, I was just going to add that uh, both of us have been playing the Tales of Monkey Island games lately. Uh, we just finished the fourth one uh, a couple days ago. And I don't know, what I've, what I've been really enjoying here is how... And I'm gonna I'm reviewing all, all of the games. Um, they'll probably all be posted when the new site goes up, if that ever happens. Um, so I won't get into it too much, but what I've really enjoyed about the game is how... Fan Sorry! I'm now adding the flour. I'm doing the dry ingredients. So uh, we've got two cups of white flour, two teaspoons of baking powder, uh, one teaspoon of baking soda, one teaspoon of ground cinnamon, a quarter teaspoon of allspice, and a quarter teaspoon of nutmeg, and half a teaspoon of salt. I'm mixing all those together. All right, go ahead, Paul. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, uh, and I want to see if you agree with this, that the Monkey Island games thus far have just been a fantastic uh, series of co-op games. Oh, uh, sure, Would you yeah. agree with that assessment? Yeah, definitely. I mean, adventure games are always fun to play mm -hmm. with someone else. I think that's true. Yeah. Because it's... it's not, because the gameplay isn't so much involved with it doesn't really matter who's controlling it. That person doesn't necessarily have mm -hmm. the majority of the fun because yeah. the fun is figuring out the puzzles. And, and each person has an equal say in yeah, trying to exactly. figure out the answers to the puzzles. Yeah, and like listening to the dialogue and doing mm -hmm. all those fun little things. So, yes, mm -hmm. I agree. What I, what I particularly like about playing these games with someone else there with you is um, I think having two brains working on these puzzles really limits the frustration factor that you often see in these games. Uh, you don't spend an hour trying to figure out the answer to some stupid puzzle because there's two people trying to figure it out and maybe one of them just has a sudden brainwave and they figure it out and you don't have to worry about it too much. And I've, I've enjoyed that quite a bit. <laughs> the plot has been crazy. Yeah. You're, yeah. Intense. <laughs> it, it actually exists. Like, there actually it. is a story <laughs> this time for a Monkey Island game. You don't see that too often. I don't think we should say anything more. No, but it's, it's very plot twisty. Yes. I think I can say that without uh, being too spoilerific. Yeah. And very surprising as a as a Monkey Island fan how how intense this this story of this game has been. Um, of course, you can't really talk about these games without talking about how they have uh, pretty much the worst control scheme in the history of video games. Which I don't I, I don't care about because I'm not the one controlling them. <laughs> it's oh god you uh, to, I'm talking about the PC version. It's also on the Wii. And I'm guessing it's probably a little easier on the Wii, but we haven't been getting review copies for the Wii versions. So anyway, on the on the PC, to move the main character, Guybrush Threepwood, Mighty Pirate, you you just click anywhere on the screen, and then you have to drag the cursor in the direction that you want Guybrush to go. And I mean, it doesn't sound that bad, but he, it just doesn't work. He just gets stuck in corners all the time. You just have, I have so much trouble wrangling him in the direction I want him to go. It just it's just so bizarre, and it's even more bizarre considering that they had a really, really solid uh, point-and-click scheme developed. I mean, they had the engine there for the Sam and Max games. It just seems completely out there that they decided to ditch that in favor of one that's a piece of garbage. But other than that, the game's awesome. It may have my vote for Game of the Year this year. Um, another game, here's, here's my transition. Another game I've been playing lately won't have my vote for Game of the Year. That game is Borderlands. And I'm going to preface this by saying that I, I think uh, my problems with this game has been pretty unique to my own experience with the game, and not necessarily as a result of the game itself. Uh, I've been playing the game with uh, a group of people who are just really super into the game. And I'm, I'm kind of into the game, but not as much as them, so they play the game a lot more than I do, whereas I only play the game when I'm playing with them. And uh, the, the result of this is that they are always 
super far, they're way further ahead of me in the game, and they're always much more powerful than me. The result of that is that they already know how to do everything. They know where everything is. So when we're playing the game, uh, a lot of it amounts to them running ahead and solving the puzzle, doing or not solving the puzzle, because the answer to every puzzle is shoot someone in the head. But they run ahead and complete the quest where I'm still, you know, trying to figure out where I'm supposed to go. And uh, when I am able to get to the right place, either before them or at the same time as them, uh, I'm rendered kind of useless because they're so much more powerful than me that they're able to kill everything very quickly, whereas I can spend, like, I'll spend the entire level shooting one dude, and they'll have cleared out the rest of the place, so. Kind of makes me kind of useless, which isn't a very good feeling when you're playing a co-op video game. So, anyway, I guess, uh, I mean, the, the gameplay itself was fun. I liked the shooting. I don't know. It was cool. I liked all the loot. That's a big focus of the game is all the different guns you can pick up. But uh, to, to really enjoy the co-op mode, I think you really need to play it uh, with people who are at the same place as you in the game. Same level, same uh, everything, basically. Or else someone's going to get left behind, and that's no fun. So that's my Borderlands. Uh, what else? You been playing anything else, Lizzo? Um, not really, I don't think. Actually, I can think of another game that you and I have been playing together, Lizzo. Yes. Clockwords. Uh, Remember that game? Yes. <laughs> Would you like we to? We should uh, play it. <laughs> just, <laughs> Would you like to describe what Clockwords is? Um, it's a casual game, right? Would you describe it as a flash animation game? Yes. Because I don't, I don't know the, I don't know the word. <laughs> I think. But uh, it's on, it's on the computer online. On the internet. On the internet. Um, uh, yeah, just Google Paul it. Paul knows how to get to it. <laughs> um, uh, and it involves shooting little mechanical spiders and bugs that are trying to steal the secrets, our, our secrets that we've, that we've gathered. And you, you shoot them by um, spelling words and using letters that they give to you. So it's basically like type, type words as fast as fast as you can and, uh, and, and try to get lots of points. And it's lots of fun. <laughs> and dorky. Yeah, we uh, see. We this is another game that's not actually a co-op game, but we've kind of turned it into one by having one person, you know, be the actual typer, just actually playing the game, and then someone else who sits behind them and shouts out ideas for words to type in case that person uh, is is not doing so well. And uh, that's worked out pretty well so far. We're uh, kind of stuck at the moment on this one level, but we've been having a lot of fun. You just we've been playing it just for like a few minutes every day or so in mean, the game, the each of the the levels, for lack of a better term. Are, are short enough that you can do that. Yeah, they're like two minutes each, yeah. probably. Fun stuff. So that's fun. It's good brain exercising. Uh, to wrap up this recipe that I'm making, I'm now mixing together the wet and the dry ingredients. And the last part is to mix in uh, two cups of chocolate chips, and then you just cook them in an oven at, uh, at 350 uh, on, on greased baking pans uh, in cookie form. Uh, it's 350 degrees uh, until they're firm, about 10 to 12 minutes or possibly more. And then you have wonderfully uh, scrumptious, what, what am I making? Um, pumpkin chocolate chip cookies. They're actually very delicious. Okay, and that's it. Done. Whew. I am finished editing this review.
And oh, check it out. The podcast is over too. What great timing. That's it for Game Call a Podcast number 17. This has been Paul Franzen, Matt Jonas, Nathaniel Hoover, Michael Gray, and Elizabeth Medina Gray. Stay tuned for the next podcast, when we'll be talking about video games. Bye.